Hey guys, Corey here, and we're back. We're back with the podcast. I know I feel like I've said that a thousand times, and, you know, a few weeks happen, and then it's another five-week hiatus. But we're committed this time, we're back, and we're making it happen. Um, we're, we've been working on some things, uh, including how to get you guys more connected with this podcast, uh, like asking questions and stuff like that. So if you want to find out more information on how to do that, you can go over and follow at Overcast Podcast on Instagram and figure out how to ask questions to future guests we'll have on the show. I'll post more information about that on the weeks to come, but yeah, hoping it'll be really great. Uh, I can't think of a better podcast to, or better episode rather, to come back on than this one. I mean, Enrique was such a cool guy. It's really funny because he's a sound engineer and this was the worst sounding episode. My mic wasn't working. He wasn't able to get a mic, so he was using his computer audio. But it in no way deters the information that comes out of it because he really gives a great insight into working with John Dwyer and the OCs and producing OCs records as well as working on his own stuff, which is really great. Um, he's such a cool guy, and I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's our longest one yet, so hopefully you guys can pull through. It's great. It's, it's full of awesome little tidbits of information that I had no idea about behind some of my favorite albums. So... Hope you guys enjoy. Um, yeah, and go ahead and follow the Overcast Instagram. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoy the episode. Bye. Hey, guys. What's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Overcast podcast, uh, where we talk to people who are interesting. I'm your host, Corey Baron. And I'm your co-host, Wes. And today we're joined by Enrique Tena Padilla. He is a producer, engineer, poet, and musician. Enrique, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's been a, a hard thing to say in the last couple of uh, months, but I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah, tell me yeah. about it. Um, that's mm -hmm. the best we can we can hope for is uh, just everything. everything's going good. Hopefully, you know, everything gets better as time goes on. Yeah, but uh, hopefully, man. Yeah, so getting right into it. Uh, to get started, I'd like to start from the beginning. That being, what made you want to get into this line of work? You know, like why, why a producer? Why an engineer? Um, I guess I, was, I, I went to music school my whole life. Um, and I realized that I couldn't really get the things that I wanted to get. Um, with the help of many other people, you know, like uh, I was always fascinated by records and um, the way that records were sounding. I went to a conservatory of music, so it was a really academic uh, look at music. And um, I was always interested in more different styles of music that didn't require an academic uh, point of view. But um, mm -hmm. Eventually, yeah, I ended up gravitating towards this because it was, I'm not a great mm, performer or a great composer either. So in the world of academic music, there was not a great, a lot of space for me. But I got a really good teacher that really saved me a lot and opened my eyes a lot when I was around 13 years old. Um, he teached me the ropes of uh, aleatory music and uh, different types of composition that didn't really require like theory, but require like an artistic 
comes to translation, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, like John Cage, especially the first person that ever blew my mind. I was really happy that John Cage came to my life when I was 13 years old. That um, uh, this same teacher always um, referred to me that there were three types of musicians and the three of them were as important uh, as the other one. He talked about the performer, there is someone that can just grab a guitar and play really good or sing really good. Uh, there were the composers that maybe are not as good playing an instrument or singing, but they're definitely great at making the music that we know. And the third one was kind of like the overrated one that was the critic, sorry, the underrated one that was the critic. And I asked, when I asked about the critic, you know, like I, I immediately gravitate to just think about um, a pitchfork uh, journalist or whatever, you know, but mm -hmm. the critic goes so many ways. And I feel like that's the uh, box that I felt the most comfortable to feel myself into. That was just a way of everything that I do is always just a critic of music, either if it's someone else's music or mine. I just like see it from a different perspective, from a, like a, outsider's perspective and I try to approach it that way and criticize it and see where it has to go. It's still a creative process, you know, you still end up creating new things, taking things to a different direction, but through a different lens that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to either write it or perform it, you know, and just like be throwing different ways and I feel like production especially, but also engineering falls into that category a lot. So that was my way of sticking around the music. Mm -hmm. Was there a particular like album or band that you heard that sort of clicked it? Because I know with a lot of um, like artists, when it comes to making music, there's always a particular band or artist or a song even where they listen to it and they say to themselves, you know, this is really, this is what inspires me to, you know, go and try to create that myself. Or was it just more of uh, a broad spectrum for you? I feel like there's been many different records across the years. I think to even to this point, there's records that show me new ways of recording that inspire me a lot. But there's definitely been like around the the very early ones that I can remember. I just remember being really blown away by that Zeppelin's production. You know, like like all the like reverse things that they had and like the way that they were making a wall of sound that I never heard before, you know. Um, after that, it's been like a, like a constant change. Um, there are records that are from bands that are not necessarily my favorite bands, but the production of it is amazing, you know. Um, mm -hmm. The Flaming Lips Soft Bulletin is one of those in terms of uh, how like a, produ a producer can like move things around to make a record so interesting and so widely diverse with sounds that definitely got me into thinking that there's a big opportunity for a producer or an engineer to like take things to a different level. Um, even though like the Flamelists are not my favorite band by any means, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Loveless by My Bloody Valentine was kind of like something like that too where I just remember being completely blown away by someone taking so long to make a record 
and that actually proved the time of and like the excruciating process of it. That was something really interesting. But there are many ones around. I to this day I still like find new things that keep me going and interest me. Uh, I definitely gravitated to watch once YouTube was a thing. I gravitated immediately to start watching interviews of Alan Parsons and like old school producers on how they made like amazing records. And I remember them like talking about like, you know, how they trick the musician to do something or how they uh, like they start splitting their tracks and like they, like you can listen to a part of a track by, by itself, you know, that you never listened before. And it's like, well, that's how they did it. I really didn't have any idea of any of the concepts of recording until way later for me, which was pure alchemy and magic for so long, because I always thought that you could get it by making the music and technology introduced itself to me way later in my, in my life. I feel like the first pedal, guitar pedal that I ever listened to was when I was in high school. So I was probably like 15, 16 years old when I like actually understood that there were ways to modify sound through electronics. And I think uh, it was a done deal after that. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. I, I know you had touched on you know, your upbringing and going to school uh, for this a little while ago. Um, and I also know that while you were going to school, you would also come to Texas and work at uh, Sonic Ranch. Uh, can you tell us a little how, how that went? How that went about happening? That actually happened by uh, a kind of like a backwards process of what we just talked about in terms of a record. Is the record that don't, didn't really brought me into the technology part of it. I remember listening to the Beach House album Bloom back in 2012 and, or 2013. I think I listened to it one year after it came out, but um, it was a record that for me was like really well produced, really well mixed. I already was in school to work on that. So I was definitely interested in the production, but with the few knowledge that I had from recording back then, I couldn't wrap my head around, there was a different element on it that had nothing to do with, um, it had nothing to do with technology. It had something to do with an, a magic, you know, and a, and a mystic sort of thing that was pure alchemy that is what I've been chasing forever. And for me, when I, I got upset, with that record to a crazy level, it was pretty much the only thing that I talked about for <laughs> a full year. Yeah. And um, I went to the credits and I realized that the assistant of that was a Mexican guy. Uh, it was Manuel Calderon, who ended up becoming a really good friend of mine. And um, it was recorded in Sonic Ranch in Texas. So he brought it towards it could be really possible for me to be in a scenario like that, you know, to understanding that. I was like, well, if the assistant of the recording was a Mexican guy like me, and it's done in a place that is not that far from home, uh, because uh, the ranch is like pretty close from Ciudad Juarez in Chihuahua. So it's like, it's an easy transition to go there. I was like, 
maybe I should try it, you know, maybe I should go to the same place because I believe that there is something else in there that doesn't have to do with technology. So I, um, I just called them over and over again until they finally answered and they were like, why do you want to come here so bad? And I explained to them that I was like, I feel like there's some sort of magic that I can't understand that it probably has to do with the place. So I want to see, I want to go and see the place. I want to see the magic behind it. And I get Stoney, the owner, really liked that answer because they just let me go for a little bit. And um, we click after a bit. I ended up meeting Manuel, who is the guy who worked at that album. And he started like teaching me a lot of the ropes of how he did it. You know, like there are many engineers in that place. There's six different studios, but I feel like Manuel and myself really click because he was the insider of that whole thing that I really wanted to find out. Mm-hmm. He ended up then later on mixing a Beach House album that is Thank You Lucky Stars in the ranch. And he invited me to the session to see it for myself. So I feel like it was a good circle to find out. I definitely feel that I found the answers that I was looking for back then. I might have different questions now that I'm an older person, but as a 21-year-old person, I definitely got the answers that I was looking for. And that was my introduction to the ranch. You know, it became my 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 cathedral my home i um got really attached to that place it hurt me not to be there mm-hmm. um when i was back in in school it's hard it's hard to be in a place where you're doing exactly what you want to do and you have to go back to do triple integrals and differential equations and uh <laughs> yeah and stuff. you know i definitely lost interest on it but mm-hmm. um and my parents were really into finishing everything that I started. So they, I, I did. I have um, my college degree in a tiny print that I keep in, uh, in my bedroom because sometimes I have nightmares where I don't finish college. It's like a recurrent nightmare that I have like once every month. Yeah. So I, print, I printed my college degree, so I just know that it's real. A little reminder. That it doesn't it doesn't really matter that much, but it's good to finish things. You know, you can finish uh, school. You can finish pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. So, I find it really interesting that you did both school and you know Sonic Ranch uh, simultaneously. You you kind of got your technical training as well as the experience in the field, like real world experience. Um, so I was just wondering, do you consider school a crucial part of getting you to where you were now, or do you think you would have been fine without it? Like if you were to just go to Sonic Ranch and not have been going to school for it? I feel like they're definitely complementary. I couldn't recommend anyone to either do it or don't, especially because school is so expensive. And it works for some people and it doesn't work for some others. I wasn't the most brilliant student on my school. Um, I was never really in the studio of my school either. You know, it, was, it never interested me to be recording music that I wasn't interested on. But my school in particular is like a really technologic oriented school. They take the engineering part of it really serious. 
it's like the MIT of Mexico, so they like really pride themselves on having super crazy engineers. I am really bad at mathematics and physics, but I still have to go to five years of it. I feel like the thing that I was talking about it with a friend recently, if I could go back in time and choose uh, if I wanted to go to school or my parents just give me the option of giving me the money so I could go to a ranch for longer or buy gear to learn how to court better. Mm-hmm. I think I would still take the school because my school gave me, my career was really new. So they gave me a lot of optional classes and most of my op- optional classes whenever I was not on physics, I was on filmmaking classes. I went to a lot of filmmaking, uh, documentary, screenwriting, and uh, a lot of philosophy. I had a really important class of philosophy through cinema. I was mm-hmm. really obsessed with, with cinema. I still am, uh, it's a big part of me, but when I got to the ranch, I had a really diverse uh conversation topics you know I could talk about photography because I really knew how to take photos or I could talk about philosophy and I could talk about cinema and I could talk about whatever you know because I had a background of different things that interest me that I like always fed through school and I was just not another kid you know that wanted to just do records for the most part the first big parts of my time in the ranch i was the film guy and tony the owner of the ranch was really into movies too so we really clicked on that and i always had a camera with me and i was always recording videos of the fans in there you know and and trying to visualize uh movies and that made it towards like my relationship with tony was way more fluid and mm-hmm. in some sort of way, it came from a background of going to college, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. If if you want to study uh, recording for, like, recording and going to recording school that only has everything into recording, I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend more to get into a different discipline and still go to a studio and intern, you know, like, like I would recommend to like get a complementary discipline, maybe graphic design, so you could be making all the designs for the albums or uh, cinema or theater or uh, literature. You know, a complementary art that still gets your uh, wheels turning, but uh, not necessarily recording. Even if you were like a, a you know, because there's there are engineers that are like more focused on the actual internet or like the actual technology you could study programming you study actual electronics and that comes handy when you're an internet studio you're an internet studio that knows how to repair a pedal that got broken on the spot you're gonna get like a lot of like more attention than the kid that is just really good at pro tools you know so (laughs) if that's what interests you i wouldn't ever recommend to go to a that is fully recording. It's, it's, it's not what college is for, in my opinion. Hmm. It's funny that you say that because we actually have, a, me and Wesley have a, a mutual friend that's actually going through that. 
he's going to school for engineering and stuff. I'm not sure. Is it, I think it's strictly just engineering that he's going for though. Um, I mean, yeah. it might, it might work different for different uh, guys. Every kid that has ever reached out to me, I have tell them to go and study agriculture, you know, it's like, or, or something related to the earth that I think is something crucial and really important. And this year was approved that that's never going to end. So, um, I, I will go back and study like mushrooms or trees or something that, and then I will still go to the ranch, you know, in the studio. What that was curiously and weirdly, uh, place completely funded by agriculture because the studio is in a pecan farm, you know, and mm -hmm. you're surrounded by, by trees and the owner of, of the studio is the owner of the, of the farm. So it all gets related, you know, so it's yeah. just the point. Um, I don't know if, I mean, your friend is happy learning how to record and stuff. That's cool too. You know, that's my personal take on what I feel like, you know, it will, it will be the best to just maybe go for a year somewhere to learn the ropes and the techniques or pay someone to teach you how to do it, like a personal kind of sensei, and start from there and study something else. College is cool. It's just um, specifically recording college is not on my interest for me. I think uh, you make a good point because, uh, Corey, you, could pr you probably agree with me. Um, don't you think that Justin's learned a lot more, like, you know, just doing stuff on his own in his little studio than, I mean, I haven't heard him say, like, oh, I learned this and this and this from my, my classes. Yeah. It's like, he says, um, oh, I was just messing around and I got this cool sound and I figured out how to do this on my own. So I think, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Yeah, it's because the assignments that he tends to work on, he sends them to me sometimes. It's mostly they give him a song from like a big band and they're like, here, mix this. And then he does it and then he sends it in. But that's all it ever seems to be. And it seems that, I mean, he he gets like, like you were saying, like the technical aspect of it down. But um, it seems like, because he does live shows also for different bands and he works the soundboard for that. And it seems like, that would be more of like a real world aspect. And like, he's been getting put on the spot and he has to just, you know, work it himself. Um, it has to be judged by making a mix of a music that doesn't interest you. You know, I have mm -hmm. definitely a lot of those assignments where they send me a band that I didn't really care for their music, but it was just like the one band that led them to stand for us to mix. Yeah. And my personal take was to fuck shit up. I, I still do. So I was always like adding the more amount of effects and like weird shit to make it really interesting. And you know, like every time that I got a review, it was like, yeah, like that's not how you're supposed to do it. You know, and, were, and it's it's really subjective. You know, how do you like like rate a mix? Like if it's, for me, it's just is it an interesting sound or not. You know, so. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I would like to eventually one day teach sound, teach music or like music recording. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't know if I could see myself going to teach it into a recording school. 
you know, the yeah. recording school might not agree with the things that I said. They definitely, as soon as I started going to the ranch and getting more experience, they started taking new kids that my school was trying to enroll into my school and they stopped taking them to me because I just told them what I said, that is exactly this. So that was not necessarily making the school, giving the school more clients. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they stopped doing that with me, which it's fine too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now that you, at this point in time, you had already, you know, your foot in the door, you were at the ranch. How did, you know, what was the, the plan after that? Like, how did you go about getting musicians to work with? Out of pure desperation and hunger, you know, it's, um, it's easy to, after I finished college, I, I moved to the ranch for like a way longer period of time. And I was definitely there for a long time, probably like a full uh, year without going out of the ranch. And you start getting tunnel vision, you know. It's, um, for me personally, and I feel like it was a really different uh, approach that many of the other people that work in the ranch, many of the other people that work in the ranch are interested. I really amazing complimentary people. They're my best friends. But some of them are definitely like really recording oriented and that's all they want to do. They want to be in the studio all the time. Mm -hmm. I have never been that person to this point. You know, I am never all the time in the studio. I, I like other things. I like painting. I like taking photos and I like writing stuff. And um, that made it towards like, the management part of the ranch got pretty confused on what to really do with me because you know they were like well he's not really an engineer and he's not really like anything i've never been anything you know i've never been like super dedicated to one thing i've been always kind of like multifaceted and other things so it could be a big curse and a part of a blessing too you know that i have never really done fully something so they started giving me way less uh, sessions to work on, you know, because they were giving them to the kids that just wanted to be engineers and just sit down and record and stuff, mm -hmm. which is fine. But I started getting kind of lost in there, like lost in terms of like, well, what am I doing here in the middle of nowhere with no friends, no family? Like, you know, I was just there the whole time. There's no way out, you know? And um, I went to London for a little bit and had a realization that all the sacrifice was for the records, you know, rec like every time that I try to do anything else for a longer period in my life, something in my life reminds me that what I need to be doing is records, you know, so with that in mind, I came back from the ranch, I started sending emails to bands that I knew that they were touring uh, and they were playing shows in El Paso. Sometimes uh, bands go from uh, Tucson to Austin. And normally on the calendars, they have one day off. And uh, El Paso happens to be in the middle of Austin and Phoenix, you know. So it was yeah. like a good good way to offer a place to stay. The, the ranch always has like, it has a lot of housing. So I started sending to bands that I really liked that I was really interested in working with. 
I started sending them the offer of staying in the ranch for one night so they could experience the ranch. That was like a proven technique that that Tony was into doing, you know, to attract more people. So I started sending emails. Sending emails is one of the best recording tools that you can ever have, you know, it's just like ask. So um, I started sending emails. Some of them were interested. And I stopped caring that much too. I was really always worried. Uh, and every time that I get worried, things don't happen whenever I like let things flow better, it just happens. And uh, I feel like in that exercise, uh, the OCs were the one band that I got to really bring in the ranch myself, uh, book the session and run the session. And by the end of that session, it was pretty much like, I don't know, like uh, a good click, you know, like, I clicked with John. Um, mm-hmm. I was 23 years old at the time when I was running the session. It was Bauer, Ty, and myself on the control room, and John directing the other thing. And um, it was interesting, you know. Like I, it, it was cool to like get the experience from Ty and the experience from from Bauer. But because I was the the person in the ranch, like the, the person that really knew the studio in the ranch, at least that first year. I was the one in the patch bay and running the tape and like doing all these things. And I was personally kind of like, I wouldn't say unexperienced because I have done records like that before, like fully analog records and stuff that mm-hmm. I definitely had the weight on my shoulders when it was pork. And um, when I finished it, I remember John being like, so uh, how, old, how old are you? And I was like, oh, I'm 23. And he was like, Jesus, man, I don't know if I would have let you do the record if I knew that. <laughs> but um, it was it was too late, and the record was finished, and uh, me and John <laughs> ever since been really good friends, you know, and uh, and that was that. It just started perfecting the formula ever since. Yeah, that was something that I, I wanted to kind of get into next, was that you've worked with a bunch of great bands. You've worked with um, Wand on their latest record, uh, which was... 2019 I believe it came out and you've worked with so. yeah and you've worked with Houndmouth and uh but again like you were saying I guess the most uh frequent band that you like to work with is uh the OCs and it, it's funny that you say that that you really are into just making it sound cool and you know fuck shit up like you said and it really seems that you and John Dwyer would click perfectly in that sense judging by the amount of crazy stuff that he puts out. <clears throat> um, so I guess leading into that would be, you know, working with the OCs, because um, just because that's the the band that I'm most familiar with that you work with. Um, 2020 was a busy year for them, and uh, you, oh, yeah. I would imagine, since you worked on a lot of their stuff, well, all their stuff. Um, uh, but the two things that I found that were most interesting, in my opinion, were the Protean Threat and Panther Rotate releases, uh, because especially the the Panther Rotate, because the Protean Threat record was just con- just short, concise songs. But when Panther Rotate was announced, I, I noticed that it was sort of like a reimagined reworking of Protean Threat. And I had read or heard an interview with John where he pretty much just said, yeah, 
uh, we did Panther and it was essentially just me, uh, Enrique and Eric just in the studio, you know, reworking everything. And I was just seeing if you could, you know, touch on how that process worked. We had the idea to, we had more time than we ever had in the ranch at that time. And the world was ending back then. So <laughs> there was like a bigger room to just do whatever it, uh, it, it was. Uh, John had brought to the studio his 388 to maybe try to work on some damage block stuff in the mean process and, and work it in the ranch. But we ended up just like experimenting a bit. Um, Little by little, John has been trusting me more in the computer. You know, like it's been a slow process. Uh, we are still like completely analog heads. But with the time of me going to John's house and be like, oh, you should check out this Pro Tools shortcut or like you can actually edit these things this way um, instead of John going to the square of and start editing his records into perfect quantize things, which would never happen because that's not our deal. He went the John Dwyer way that is like, like you said, talk shit up. So it's like, how can we use the computer to start like blending stuff around so we could take a part of this. We finished the, the way that we did since their road trade though, it was that um, we were finishing the mix of a song on protein tread. And that same day, you know, we finished the mix in the morning, go to eat, and we came back. We opened this song and uh, started, like, we had the Pro Tools file of the song and, like, started, like, taking parts of the song, slowing them down, pitching them up, like, leeching them around and running them through pedals, running this stuff. And then John will, like, make a beat out of that and start, like, adding different layers, new instruments, new melodies to them, but it was all based on ending the mix of the song, hearing the song finish by itself, and then the same exact day, just completely take it to a different direction. So we did that for like a good amount of time. We're mixing a song a day and reworking it and committing to that rework that same day. So Panther Rotate was a really natural like ping pong of just like uh, a good process to like start turning things around at the same time as we were finishing the actual record so they're mm -hmm. just complementary things and even the uh, the uh, title panther rotate is the it's a scramble of protein thread is exact same letters yeah panther uh, protein thread just yeah i had no idea that like, that's really cool that it was recorded almost simultaneously, like created simultaneously with Protean Third. I think that makes it more of a companion, like that literally makes it a companion piece to uh, Protean Threat. I think that's really badass. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, we never done that before. We never had the time to experiment like that. I feel like the, the other kind of like time that we had to do something like that was, um, that 12 inch that first came as OC that it was just Tom and the 12 inch John, synth like, yeah yeah um that was like our first approach to try to do something like that in the ranch but this time we have way more time and uh the disposition to do it I feel like the times in the world 
leftist tourists, we could we could be open to choose stuff like that. And after that, John started going for it on releases of stuff that we worked on for 2020. It was definitely like the busiest OCs year I had to experience, which it's a blessing, you know, like mm-hmm. John is a uh, true caretaker of his people and friends and uh, he's a provider of whatever it has to happen to keep the ball rolling, you know, and he's responsible for a lot of people, you know, like like his band and, and his label and and you know he just keeps the ball rolling when it has to happen so mm-hmm. um it's good it's good to have uh, someone like john around in times like this for yeah sure. yeah i would bet he's all he does is make new music so there was no <laughs> shortage of that for 2020 and all the records were the living proof yeah it's uh, um, pretty inspiring for sure yeah definitely so with uh panther rotate he was really a big part of the mixing process and that sort of thing is is he usually a part of that like for for other albums or is does he just you know how big of a hand does he play in that he is the hand i mean john is um (laughs) it's like his sense of, of his own aesthetic is so done and determined that you know, like me and Bauer have a really clear understanding of what that is. Mm. And especially through the years we've been getting really good at approaching the things, knowing our boundaries and our limits. You know, there are things that I know that I, it doesn't even like it's not worth the time trying because we know the boundaries with John and where he likes to go and where he doesn't like to go. There are things within those boundaries that get Bauer and myself creative into where we can push stuff in those boundaries, you know, but he's so concerned that we know those things. And uh, he's definitely a huge part of the mixing process. You know, normally me and Bauer get it to like, the 80% of, uh, of where you should be. And we come out and we're like, all right, it's, it's mixed. You know, he's playing video games in the meanwhile. And he comes and listens to it. And then he's literally hands-on, he sits on the console and marks with a tape where our levels are and starts like moving stuff around to where he thinks it's where things should go. And then the three of us together sit down again and like take a quick revisit, write the faders together, and we we print it. But he's as handsome as an artist can be on his music for sure. It's good that we have a really clear communication system now and a really clear process on how we do things that allow these things to never ever get like we weirdly have creative arguments now, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because um, I read an interview that he actually did with you on a, for a tape op. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. one, one of the interesting things that caught my eye was uh, 
a, uh, well, I'm going to quote him now, because uh, he said, we definitely disagree on certain things, but it's the compromise and the path that makes the results interesting and fruitful. So I, that, yeah. that, that got me wondering, you know, what, what sort of disagreements would you guys have when it comes to making his kinds of music and what would the compromises be? Me and John are really different people. You know, we come from really different backgrounds. John is from Providence and I have never ever been there or experienced how that is. Um, I have gone to Mexico City with John, so we had we got to share a little bit of my background mm -hmm. uh, together, but we definitely understood right away that our backgrounds and ways of seeing things are really different. We agree on so many others, you know, we like uh, similar movies, especially um, we, we, we go deep into the movie world together, but um, in terms of like the creative process, I like really different records that John likes. Uh, John and I like really different recordings and you know, we make fun of it now and stuff, but I am like really oriented into like washy, dreamy, reverby things and he is a really dry uh, recording person. He likes certain amount of reverse, mostly natural ones. And I can't help myself with reverb. We joke about it all the time. Even <laughs> we talked about it recently. Um, uh, we have a joke of a pedal that I always tried for. Um, it was, I think, Face Taver. I bought this pedal that I was trying to use the whole record. And there was one space where it was, it, it, this pedal is like a delay with um, modulation on it that I really wanted to use. And um, the time came for me to use this pedal and the pedal ended up not actually working. Like the, the, <laughs> the pedal. And we, we make fun of that. I feel like the compromises are a lot on like, um, um, John is a person of systems. He, he has a system for pretty much everything in his life and he has a way to do stuff. I am more of a chaotic person. You know, and through the years, we like being complementing each other a lot more on those things. The compromises that we make are stuff that I do around the chaos and he does around his organization. You know, he is really good at directing chaos in different ways. You know, his music and his perception aesthetic is chaotic in some sort of ways, uh, but I am create chaotic in the process, you know, and, um, I feel like understanding those things are definitely some of the compromises that we do. And it's definitely a complementary thing. Um, I, and that includes Bauer too, you know. Bauer is a really different recording person as I am, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's really, and, and we together are really different to John on many ways. So first, it's like the compromises that me and Bauer did together in the whole recording process. And then when it's like the time to overdub and mix with John, it's a whole nother stage of what we, like Bauer and myself already agreed and, and then presenting that to John. And mm -hmm. that becomes a, a, a different conversation. So there's always been compromises. There's always room for experimenting different microphone techniques that I want to prove that we have to talk and, and try out. Um, I try to mix this record in a different room 
than what we normally mix at. Uh, so uh, protein shred is done in the ranch, but in a different room though from all the years that we recorded. And that's a compromise itself too. You know, it changes the, the vibe, it changes the, the surroundings of what we're used to. So I feel like like it comes a lot in the process. And we definitely like have, you know, disagreements and arguments and stuff, but we know each other really well now. Of course, we know each other's boundaries and where to push things and where to not do it, which mm -hmm. is a uh, uh, desirable thing for every relationship between an artist and uh, and an outsider, you know, from, from a band to have. Um, I feel like because of that, I've been able to transport that same thing to every other artist that I work with. You know, mm -hmm. there's always a time, it definitely happened with Juan or any other of the bands that, uh, of the records that you might hear, you know, even in my own music, there's always that clash where, um, you put the things and you try to, to approach them and you have always a, a clash. It's definitely good that um, me and John are people that different, but we definitely complement each other in different aspects of life, not only on, on the studio. You know, we're really good friends outside of the studio and we see each other all the time and we are always bouncing ideas back and forth because because of those differences that we have. Mm -hmm. Now, um, <clears throat> coming off of that, uh, since you know you bounce off of each other, um, have there been any like specific things that you know you learn from him or uh, he learns from you? Um, like I don't know, microphone placements or hey, maybe try playing through this or I'm not a producer at all, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, all the time. I mean, all the time. I am always like um, teaching John how to like edit something on Pro Tools or automate a track or like. I'm like, have you ever heard of this plugin that could make your life ten times easier? Because I'm <laughs> way more in the computer than he is. You know, he's uh -huh. like definitely more into the tape. He's um, in terms of of sounds and tones, John has been like a great teacher for me. You know, it's like, he is the master of tone in many ways for guitar. His guitar tone is so specific that I definitely learned through the years, many ways of approaching uh, guitar tones to it. He's really good at recording drums too. So we definitely learn together how to like get the drum sounds that we wanted. I feel like Protein Tread is like a drum sound that we were trying to achieve for a while together. Um, and in terms of um, life, you know, that is the other thing, like outside of the studio, I mean, John has been a huge mentor for me on many things, just an older person and he has had way more experience in just in life in general than me. So like I look up to John a lot as a teacher of many things in life. I, I go to him for advice a lot, most of the times, you know, to like know stuff and 
then I bring something into his life that it might be interesting to him, you know, a movie or a book or a record or uh, a toy, you know, or something, you know, like we are always like definitely like teaching stuff each other. It's been a really nurturing relationship that I want, the one that I, that we've been developing through the last couple of years is definitely a, a good friend to have around and a good mm -hmm. teacher for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the, I asked, I, I asked one of, um, one of my friends that, that I was having you on because we're, we're huge OCs fans. And um, I asked him, you know, what, what do you have a question that I can ask him, you know, anything. And one of his questions, which I thought was pretty interesting as well, especially judging how different each record can be. I mean, you came on with Orc, so there was Smoke Reverser after that, then Face Stabber, and now all the 2020 releases. Um, do you have a, like a, a personal favorite album that you worked on for OCs? Mm, it's a hard question. I feel like every every record has had a, a, a great thing. I feel like um, when I got into Orc, I did things in a way that I don't know if I could do again because I learned so much ever since. And it's been always, in a way, a surprise to me to realize that people really like the sound of Orc. You know, it's like a, it's definitely a specific sound mm -hmm. that is way more raw and really different, you know, and it has to do not only with Ty Bauer and I being behind that record, but there was a new drummer in the band too at the time. And um, it was, everything was new, you know, and, and um, ever since Orc, I spend the whole year after Orc getting ready for Smoke Reverser. So as a personal breakthrough in terms of engineering, mostly, and in terms of like, like sound, the Smoke Reverser was for me a record that I definitely got really prepared for. Um, I, I had the experience of how things went down on Orc. I knew the things that we liked about Orc and the things that we did. And I spent a good amount of that subsequent year really prepping for, for that record. So I, I definitely went full force into Smoke Reverser, especially into the drum recording part of it, of Smoke Reverser. I really like dive in. And together with Bauer, like, uh, we developed a little bit of, of, of the techniques that after that we've been increasingly improving. But it's like the, 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 the records after Smoke Reverser have been the, the, the improvement of this Smoke Reverser approach that was when I personally feel like we we the three of us click on it mm. uh, so I mean I, I love Orc sentimentally for what it means to me it means it's a, it's a miracle that Orc happened in my life you know like um, 
like being able to do a record like work at the age that I was and uh, knowing that you could do records like that in this day and age when, you know, like everyone else is telling you that tape records maybe don't matter or records like that are like difficult to to get paid for, do you, you know, it's a, mm -hmm. as a sentimental thing, you have great meeting Ty in that session and meeting Bauer and meeting the whole crew of the OCs and starting uh, my friendship with John was, uh, it's, it's always for me, Orc is going to be like a really special record in terms of a technical approach. And that's something that I, I pride myself on breaking through. I feel like Mode Reverser is definitely that. I, I love uh, Face Tavern and Protein Tread and the subsequent records mm -hmm. uh, on 2020, but they, come from the uh, from the learnings of of those two things yeah of those two records so mm -hmm. yeah i feel like sentimentally or and uh technically and uh proudfully smoke reverser for sure very cool it's funny that you say that because orc is one of my favorite oc's albums like of their entire discography, um, which is, I guess, saying a lot because they have, they touch on a bunch of different things. Um, and the drum sound on Orc has always been something that I've loved in particular. And I think it's funny how you say that it was kind of perfected on Smoke Reverser. Um, but like the the drums on like Drowned Beast, the, the intro, how it sort of builds up with everything, oh, that part gets me every time. And then the, and the last song, Raw Optics, where it's just, you know, it's just a giant drum solo. It's just incredible. Um, and we've actually, me and Wesley have actually talked about this and we always say, you know, what's, what's the best sounding, you know, drums you've heard? Like, what's your favorite drum sound from a record? And one of my top answers is always like, oh, it's Orc, it's gotta be raw optics. That drum solo is just, it sounds so crisp, but it's not super clean. It's still got that, you know, OC's distortion. And it's just, it's mm -hmm. so great to me. And uh, it's funny because Wesley is actually, he prefers, you know, more of the smoke reverser kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely a smoke reverser over orc kind of guy. Um, I just like the overall sound and how it all bleeds into each other, kind of like a, an old 70s, like prog rock album. But it also has that uh, kraut rock feel to it too. And just the way that it's presented sonically like whenever I listen to it, I make sure, you know, I uh, lay down in bed, close my eyes, and I just get taken away. So, yeah. Different I strokes mean, for different things. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> like both, and they're definitely really distinct. I feel like it will take me a little bit more time to recreate the orc sound, because the orc sound came a lot from... Uh, Ty had to leave at some point of the recording, so it was mostly for the mixing, John Bauer and I, mm -hmm. and um, and Bauer left too, so it was mostly John and I on Orc, and I just was feeling the heat in there, so I broke many of the rules that I now impose for myself in, in terms of what I would do and what I would do. I didn't knew as many things back in the day either. And I have consciously thought about it too, because you know you're not the first person that tells me something like that, you know, or like that. It's like I really like the sound of orc, which I love too. 
you know, it's just, um, I would like to switch off sometimes the, the, the rules that I self impose now to myself and some of the things I would like to like be able to switch it, you know, and, and, and care less and, and do a more raw approach to some of the things that I do. Uh, I think it'll be a good experiment to uh, approach it, you know, because I think I, I do agree with you that record in particular has a really specific sound. Um, it's, it's cool to see that it's like uh, sometimes a fan favorite for sure. Um, it would be cool to try to like see like what what makes that special. Even myself, you know, and like and like talking to Bauer about it and then like to tie, you know, like um, to see like what what's in there that like made it special. Um, uh, it's just like you said, it's different. It's different things. We we all have grown up over the years and have different ways of doing this stuff. I, I hope uh, records keep changing, you know, and I hope to not stick to one sound yeah. for the vast majority of, of, of my work. I wouldn't feel comfortable being that person. I would like my, my sounds to constantly evolve. And, you know, of course I have a, a sound, you know, but it's, it's always going to be hard to define for me. So I, I, I always try to to add something else, bring some a different element to the table and, 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 and experiment with it. So hopefully the drum tones keep changing, you know, and like and, uh, the sounds keep changing. It's something that I, I really wish for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, coming from an outside perspective, just kind of paying a compliment to you, the, 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 all the OCs records that have come out, I guess have been, you know, what you were going for. You want them to constantly evolve but they still have that sort of that sound that stays true to OCs, but from, you know, it's kind of expected with it to keep on evolving. Um, and it's really cool to see how that further evolves in the future. Um, <clears throat> now sort of moving apart from things that you work on with other musicians, um, 2020 was not just a big year for OCs, but also a big year for you personally, because uh, you came out with your first record uh, with Good Boy Inc., you released uh, The House of the Dancing Stairs, um, which is a fantastic album. I uh, just have to say that outright. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about how that, how that band formed? Because I understand that it was formed sort of right in the middle of COVID. Yeah, I mean, the actual forming of the band, I feel like I've been getting ready to do that band for a long time. I bought, I have... It's all based around a guitar that I painted when I was 16 years old. I have this, I bought this SG, Epiphone SG that I painted as the mystery machine of Scooby-Doo. I was always a big fan of Scooby-Doo and it was a good experiment for me to try to make a guitar interesting. So I made this mystery machine and I always had it in the back of my mind. Uh, it's been forever. That guitar has been, been my guitar forever. And, um, the creation of that band was like somewhere around like two or three years ago. I can't even remember. It was like, it was like three years ago mm -hmm. where I was in Sevillon, you know, there's like a, a venue here in LA that I, I, I go to all the time and I have a really good relationship with the, with the owners. And 
Jaws, that is one of the owners of Seven, was saying that they didn't have a band for Halloween that year. I think that year was 2017 or 18. I can't. No, it, it, it must have been 18 or 19. It's still blurred right now, but <laughs> I, I had already finished the one record by then because I remember being in the studio with Corey and the gang and uh, joking about me finally going for it and doing that band. So it must have been like 2018. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just like a thing of, uh, I always wanted to make a Scooby-Doo band. I always wanted to try to like see how that will sound. And I always wanted to have my band, you know, because it's, it's uh, I really appreciate when like guys, like people like you take the time to like compare the different a sound between uh, different records and then listening to one maybe or then listening to like a guy or, or something else and like trying to like see what is in there that like makes my sound and my pursuit for the sound but I was also trying as a producer to make it easier for everyone and be like this is the sounds that I'm after you know like this is like everything that I want to do and all the creative freedom that I want to have, it's right here. You know, so it's like, mm -hmm. if you want to know my sound, it's definitely sonically in, in the Good Boy Inc. record. Yeah. Um, so I made the band like a couple of years ago to play at Sebulon. We play a show, a Halloween show. I dressed up as Scooby-Doo. I still do every time that I play in that band. And and the songs that are inspired Scooby-Doo, it was like I had to do the whole band in a month because there was no band when I booked the show. And Sebulon is such a special place for me that I couldn't make a fool of myself in there. It was like either really do the songs or not. So at the time, I had one month to put it together and like like try to come up with the song. So I just got stoned out of my mind and watched Scooby-Doo. <laughs> for a while it came out with the songs they, and that's where the first batch of that record came i feel like um the songs that are actually the most to be related came from from that month of me just like having to do it some of my favorite songs came from that too good boy was written in like a day you know because i already knew that i wanted to do a song called good boy and this concept was so simple you know it was just about being a good boy so i just it just went for it, it came naturally yeah. yeah and um after playing some of those shows i feel like we played like three shows as as uh back in the day it was called mystery inc uh we played three shows with the scooby band um and i already had like an idea of making the record for myself i was like lacking some some extra songs to fill it up. But I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a Scooby record eventually, you know. And when we went to make uh, Protein Tread, uh, because the world was so strange back then, it was just right in the beginning of it. It was like, it was in March. And I, no one knew what was gonna happen. We thought that it was just gonna be two months of staying at home and then go yeah. back to normal. Um, I brought my guitar just in case. It's the first time that I did that. You know, I want to have my guitar in there just in case. And um, even John made fun of me because uh, we had an inside joke there of taking our gear to the ranch because the ranch has so much gear. There's not really a necessity of taking it. But we always do. 
So I took my guitar and they started canceling all the sessions because the COVID kept getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And because of the relationship that I have in the ranch and with the people of the ranch that are like like big part of my family and Tony, you know, like I started noticing that there was like a shortage of clientele to come and it was just the right place, right time. So I show my demos to Tony and I was like, you should give me the shot to make the record here. You know, like I know this place so well that I know like how I could achieve all these sounds that I'm like looking for super fast. So I, I got to an agreement with Tony on how to like, like pay him back for the record and how to do the record. And I called, um, I called the, the team that I had in the back of my mind to make it that it was none of the people that previously played with me in the shows. I wanted to like make this kind of like a new thing. And, um, um, the only people that I played with, uh, back then in my shows that I wanted to have around couldn't make it. So I had to call a full new team and it ended up being a fantastic thing. You know, like we, I had like, uh, especially like, uh, this guy, Will Kubli is a guy that I already knew from the ranch, uh, that was really hands on in my music and I definitely let him go for it. So it was like a back to back thing where me and Will Kubli were every night just trying to approach this sound. But, um, you know, there were different like elements that um, Caleb and Saul, that have a band called Los Splits, that is like a cumbia band brought to the table. Caleb is the most, like the craziest, best percussion player I ever met in my life. And uh, Saul has, it's a compliment to him. He's an incredible saxophone player and incredible melodic maker and arrangement maker for cumbia and Latin melodies, which was something that I really wanted to explore in my music because he has to do a lot of with my background. And then uh, Love Femme, that is like a ridiculous, crazy singer. You know, it's like their voice is one of the best voices I've ever heard in my life. So it was like, it was always a dream for me to have uh, a love's voice singing on my record too. And everything took together, everyone came to the ranch and we did the record in like 13 days. And um, Love also is a really good guitar player. So it was really good to have another guitar player there. So together we made a lot of those things and it just happened to be a good experiment. You know, like that band for me, is like, really special is a, it's a thing that I always wanted to do. I, I, I got into recording so I could do my own records eventually. And uh, that record goes to every direction that I ever wanted to go. You know, it goes to Dream Pop and it goes to a cumbia thing, it goes to a ranchera and it also, the opening track is like a way more like raw, like guitar, the yeah. clash kind of song. And um, it, it goes to all the like different like, places that I wanted to go and at that time in a specific in recording and um, it was amazing to just get together with my friends to do a record with no particular purpose you know like it's a it's a Scooby-Doo dream pop cumbia record so it's it's a hard sale, you know, it, it, to, even to this point, you know, it's, it's being hard for me to like send it to a label and get the label to be like, yes, amazing. This is like, 
the band that we were looking for, you know, in some sort of way to the band that no one needs, you know, it's like, uh, it's, yeah. there's not a necessity for that band, but it was a necessity for my, for me personally to make that band, to make the band that I wanted to have, the sounds that I wanted to achieve. And I hope that eventually those, those translate, you know, and like people get to listen to it. Um, yeah. For, for me personally with that album, um, because me and Wesley are Hispanic um, and we are in the, we're really close to Mexico in Texas. Uh, we're in the Rio Grande Valley, which is very, you know, as south as you can get in Texas. So we grew up around a lot of like the cumbia and, uh, you know, Tejano music and stuff like that. And listening to this record was a really great culmination of what I sort of grew up listening to and the music that I listen to now. It was like a perfect blend and that's what really drew me to it. And I thought it was just, I thought, I think it's a fantastic album. And, you know, um, I, it's funny that you say earlier how you want, when you were comparing yourself to, you know, Dwyer's sound, how you want things really, you know, dreamy and washy and stuff like that. That's something that I really got from this record. And when you said that, I'm like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, judging by the the sound of the record which isn't a bad it's it's you know i mean that in the best possible way um but yeah i just i just thought i'd say that that is that gives it another personal touch for me personally yeah i mean i definitely appreciate it this record is in my opinion made for only two different types of people you know like the first type was me it's a record i wanted to do for myself you know, and it's a record that I listen to myself still, you know, and I, I am extremely happy about it. I most of the time listen to every record that I've worked on because I normally really like them, you know. Um, but this one, I find myself going for it because it's a record that I, like, enjoy listening. And so I, I listen to it again and again and again. It's great. I never get tired of it. But the other person type of people that I was doing it for it was just like this really yeah this really specific type of of people you know where you're like it seems to me like um in terms of like like the border kind of like like saying or like as a first generation or second generation American Mexican American person there's a weird line where you, it's, it's hard to like find the identification of it, you know, because even with this uh, record for me, it's like all my friends from Mexico City, pretty much every single one of them have told me like, oh, that record sounds really like a California record, you know, it sounds like a Californian band. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I always ask like, what sounds Californian to you? What is the element that sounds Californian to you? And they always answer the same thing. They always like say, it sounds chill, you know. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not making a record that that sounds like a Mexican band. I am, I, you know, like the record is ninety or more percent Mexican. Like everyone on the record is Mexican. Love is 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 Mexican. Uh, Los Espliffs are Mexican. The mastering of Marco is Mexican. The record cover is by a Mexican girl. You know, everything about it is Mexican except from Will. Um, but it's still, we, we are not considered a Mexican man, you know, which is uh, it's fine with me. We're, 
also not consider an American band, I guess, you know, because when I was pitching this record to uh, PR and stuff, they were like, cool, we should send it to like NPR Latin, you know, or we should send it to uh, Remezcla and all these like sites that I really like and respect, but it was an interesting experiment, you know, because like, why can't we just be on all the white indie rock media? You know, we are indie rock band. There's no doubt about it, you know, like, and uh, we were not on those, well, we're, we're not in any media to be begin with, you know, <laughs> but like, it was like, I definitely noticed like a weird in-between thing, and that's who the record's made for, you know, it's for all, all those people in between, I feel like that we are way more than we think we are, you know, and, uh, and it's made for for kids, you know, it's made for 15-year-old kids that are in that thing. It's mostly like like teenagers, what I was thinking, you know, like, like it's a record for me to like, well, I don't want teenagers to get stoned, you know, but like uh, it's a record for me to like close your eyes, like you were saying, and listening to it and take you somewhere else, you know, like the whole record is meant to be a Scooby-Doo kind of episode that takes you somewhere else that is not the reality that you're in right in that moment. And it also mm -hmm. doesn't take you either to Mexico or LA, you know, it takes you to, to that weird place in time that we were in, in the universe that me and my friends created while being in Texas on a pandemic, you know, so it's like, hopefully, I mean, I'm happy to hear that it translates to, to both of you, you know, hopefully, um, well, actually, I'm, I'm kind of pissed that Corey um, sent it to me so late because he just told me that uh, I was going to be, you know, in this interview earlier today while I was at work. I was like, I, I don't really know a whole lot about him. He's like, oh, well, here's an interview and here's his album. And now that you're talking about it, I'm like, well, shit, I want to hear it like right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely encourage you to listen to it. Uh, I, I am extremely proud of that record. I feel like we're, uh, I am going to try to keep making more and more. I mean, I have plans to keep keep going. You know, I lost the most important thing that was the fear of putting stuff out. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. uh, I have the support from most of my friends. You know, it's like, uh, I never expected to get this record and, and, and for John or any of my friends with uh, labels put it out you know it was the record just to do the record you know and like and have and, and see the outcome of it we I hope to tour it eventually you know I have to hope to make another one I have plans for this year to do more stuff for uh Wing. I have other plans for the same type of music but in different avenues you know I have another band in mind that I'm doing at the time um but this was definitely like the first experiment on it, you know. And um, there are, uh, from what we know, 36 million Mexicans in the U.S. I think that we are way more, but that's the ones that are counted, you know. So it's like mm -hmm. we are way more people than we think we are. And uh, Mexicans and uh, Latinos love indie rock as much as everyone else. And we don't get the representation that we should, you know, like the dream is too far, you know, like, like we're, most of us are not even in the U.S. to make the records of indie rock, but we consume the shit out of it, you know, like, 
American bands go to Mexico all the time and get a huge acclaim and attention and get praise and like we know all the songs you know from all those bands you know like and and those bands love going to Mexico and we need to start doing the the opposite too you know like mm -hmm. people from the U.S. have to love the bands from Mexico I'm I, I'm in a constant quest or pursuit to try to like build that bridge or to you know in some sort of way even reverse it because the bridge exists you know, we have, uh, uh, it's just one-sided, you know, and I'm trying to like make it a conversation. So we're going to keep going. That's, that's what I'm here for, you know? Yeah. Um, I think Wesley would agree that we're here for it too. We're, yep. we're going to, you know, support you all the way and just, you know, try to make things happen the best we can. Um, I think that's a really good note to leave off on. Uh, that was mm -hmm. a really good message to the world, to the people. Um, one thing I'd like, I like to ask before you kind of touched on it already, but uh, before we close it up, you know, what does, what does 2021 hold for Enrique? What is, what is the future hold for you? It's really blurry right now. Um, <laughs> I've been on a, I've been on a visa processing that has been really hard and it's been really uncertain. Uh, my visa got denied in in the pandemic of last year, uh, so I've been reapplying for that, and I've been like doing everything I can to keep going on that. But it's always been since the last year, it's been really hard for me to plan really ahead. So the only thing that I got left to do was just to put all my coins into finishing all the projects that I have right now. So being uh, I built a studio, um, Pasadena. Um, yep. myself so that's been my main uh, project you know is to like get the studio ready and rolling the studio is workable now and it's, it sounds great and it's uh, my my recording studio now the, the idea now is to like get more records to be done in that studio and um, in terms of my personal like projects and bands I have an idea of a movie that I'm trying to make with, oh, with William interesting um but it's like a scooby-doo kind of like episode thing but it's going to be acted <laughs> by us and um that will have complementary music it's not definitely gonna not gonna be a full lp you know it's more like based around the movie oh, okay. lp2 lp2 will happen once i can go on tour um hmm. and i am doing other projects. Um, I'm starting a, a, another band with a friend that I'm really uh, excited about, and um, I'm doing uh, way more art. I'm like trying to like get myself into the contemporary art world now that I own a studio that is a contemporary piece of art. You know, um, because well, for if you guys don't know, my studio is uh, is an art installation. Yes, yeah, that was you. In, 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 yeah. So. Yeah. So now I'm trying to like also gravitate onto that, but it's hard for me to plan a longer term plan except from knowing that I'm just gonna like try to get my cube to the biggest level until I can't and make records in the cube. It's the only two things that I know for sure. I'm gonna make records in that cube and I'm gonna make that cube in Sega. 
and um, I'm definitely going to be working with John. You know, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a thing for sure. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to see what, what other things you have in store. All that sounds really cool. Um, and I can't wait. I can't wait for it. Um, Wesley, do you have anything else to add before we close up here? Um, so touching on the cube, you said you wanted to really get that going. Um, do you have like anyone you plan on working besides John, of course, like, um, are you open for emails, uh, like commissions? Like if someone says, Hey, I want to go report at your studio. Would you say, Oh, okay. Or definitely. I mean, I, I have already been working on some different things. I started working with surfboard on the cube. We just finished some stuff. I work with Matt Jones, who is, uh, John's, uh, label partner. We castle face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I finished a record with Matt Jones in the cube. Um, and yes, I'm always open to emails. I mean, uh, I made an Instagram for the cube specifically for people to be able to reach out in a really easy way. It's called Migrant Ducks. That is the um, the original name of the art piece. It's, it's Migrant Ducks. So um, that's the name of the studio. Consequently, everyone can reach out. I am really, I like to consider myself a reachable person and I uh, take my time to answer everyone, whatever it is, you know, whatever they have to tell me, I am there. Um, the cube, because of the, the situation that it is, it's like, it's a really personal space for me. So if the project is interesting for me, the cube is always going to be there, you know, but I am open for anyone to just reach out and, and see what we can do. There's definitely time now. Yeah. So I think uh, I, we I, um, might send you an email or a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Send me an email. I mean, it's always there. That's the one proof and the one thing that I believe in, you know, like reaching out to people and I'm, uh, I'm always there. I, I do my work for, uh, for, for the kids. You know, so if the kids want to reach out, that's that's the biggest proof for me that the work is working out. So, um, yeah, everyone should feel free to reach me out. You should not feel free to cruise around the cube. That the location of it is kind of disclosed for whenever you're actually gonna go to the cube. Mm -hmm. But in the internet exists, and I'm there, so everyone can can approach me for sure. Yeah, whenever whenever this episode goes up, we'll definitely be sure to link all the account, all the Instagram accounts mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, that sounds good. Yeah, uh, but man, thanks so much. It's been really great talking to you. Um, it's been, as John Dwyer said, very uh, very fruitful <laughs> and productive. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, likewise. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again, man. Uh, hope you have great rest of your day. Um, and stay clean, stay safe. I will. Um, yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this. And um, I hope to uh, be in touch and, and be around um, for whenever you guys want to hear. Thanks, man. We really appreciate it. Definitely. Yep. Um, all right, man. Well, have a good one. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.